This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Book of Equanimity, Case 81. Master Gensha arrived at Hoden province and was received with many kinds of entertainment. The next day he asked Venerable Shoto, where did all of yesterday's festivities go? And Shoto lifted a corner of his robe. Gensha remarked, there's no relation between them at all. The well, point of that little story may not be very clear on first reading. So it's very helpful that the uh, commentary by Jerry Wick in this edition provides us uh, with some details of Gensha's earlier life. And I'll just read uh, from his uh, commentary. Before he became a monk, Gensha was a fisherman, as was his father. Once when they were out fishing together, they had an accident and his father fell into the sea. Gensha tried to save him, but couldn't. After his father drowned in his remorse and despair, Gensha decided to become a monk and to practice Zen. Compared to other novice monks, he was in an advanced age, in his 30s. Perhaps his life experience helped him understand his practice and the meaning of life and death. Many years later, on a pilgrimage, Gensha painfully stubbed his toe on a rock and cried out in pain. He had an enlightenment experience as he thought to himself, if everything is empty, where does this pain come from? Then he went back to see his teacher, Seppo, who said, Did you go on your pilgrimage just to cut your foot and have a hard time? Gensha said, Please don't kid me. Seppo was pleased and said, What you have just said should be spoken by everyone, but they lack your sincerity. Why don't you continue to visit other masters? Gensha said, Bodhidharma did not come to China, and the second patriarch did not go to India. Now, if we think about how Gensha came to practice, as a result of 
this terrible accident in which his father died while he was helpless to save him. We imagine that he hoped his practice in some way would relieve him of his guilt and just the pain of that terrible loss. But anyone who has suffered that kind of tragedy knows it never goes away. So what is practice supposed to do? His dilemma crystallized for him on pilgrimage when he had an accident and they say stubbed his toe, I gather really painfully cut his toe, broke it perhaps, so that he cried out in, in pain. And the whole contradiction of what he was seeking in practice became alive to him in that moment. If everything is empty, why am I in so much pain? We can see that that must have been the poor curative fantasy in his practice, that somehow Entering into emptiness, into samadhi, would wipe out his pain. Maybe even wipe out his memory. Wipe out his guilt. But the pain didn't go away. And yet in that moment, something collapsed. And this dichotomy between the pain and the emptiness dissolved. When he went back to tell his teacher about it, the teacher was testing him. Did you go around on pilgrimage just to go hurt yourself like that? What did that accomplish? Seppo said, Master, don't, don't kid me. And Seppo was very pleased with the immediacy and sincerity of that remark. There's no stink of Zen about it at all. Further on in the commentary, we're told that when Gensha himself later became a teacher, 
his style was very direct. And if a student came to him and asked, Master, how can I encounter the Dharma? He might say, do you hear the sound of the stream outside? When the student said, yes, Gensho would say, enter there. Or the students would come, ask his question, and Gensho would just call out his name. And when the student responded, Gensho would say, enter there. Now, I think we have to be very careful in thinking about those stories because in a way they seem to point simply to immediacy. Everything is just this present moment. The sound of the stream, the sound of your name, the pain in your cut foot. Enter there. That doesn't mean that by entering there, everything else is wiped out once and for all. But that takes us back to the story that forms the case. When he arrives, he's greeted with great festivities. And the next day, he asks his host, where did it all go? What's the relationship between yesterday and today? And once we know Gensha's backstory, that his, his yesterday contained the death of his father for which he felt responsible, Where did yesterday go is not an idle question. And his host makes this gesture of lifting up the corner of his robe saying, in effect, it's right here. It's intimately still present. And Gensha replies, it has no relation at all. Now I think that that is supposed to set up for us this dichotomy of The past is never left, and the past is completely gone. When Gensha became a monk, the past was something 
that he couldn't shake off. It tormented him. But his fantasy of practice, that there would just be immediacy, nothing but the present moment, and everything would else be wiped away, clean slate. That's a one-sided fantasy as well. We don't want to be stuck with a past that never lets us go. And we don't want to be stuck in the present thinking dissociation or repression of everything that's gone before is enlightenment. I've said that problems don't disappear from our life as a result of practice. They disappear into our life. They become seamlessly part of our life. There's just our life, and it's not life and problems. And why can't we get rid of our problems? But it's our life the sum of everything that's happened before. This is, I think, our challenge in this practice to when we sit with concentration, with immediacy, not make that something that's supposed to push aside and make us forget for a while who we are and how we got here. But see the present, as I said in my opening remarks, as the sum, the result, of everything that's gone before. What is the present? It's all come to this. <laughs>